Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Bovinghausen. Today is June 6th, 2020, and we are preparing for Sunday morning. Um, We are preparing for tomorrow morning, which will be a celebration of the Holy Trinity. It's the Feast of the Holy Trinity, what we know as Trinity Sunday. And uh, on Trinity Sunday, we do most things the same, but uh, we get to focus on the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, which is what we're going to do today a little bit. I'm going to try to keep it to 30 minutes. Um, It's it's kind of a tough thing to do when um, talking about the Holy Trinity, but we're going to give it a shot. And uh, before we get started, though, let's start with a word of prayer with the collect for this coming Sunday. So let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given us grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity by confession of a true faith and to worship the unity in the power of the divine majesty. Help keep us steadfast in this faith and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign one God, now and forever. Amen. So one thing that's different about Trinity Sunday is that, well, we focus a lot on the Holy Trinity. And one of the things we do in focusing on the Holy Trinity is we uh, typically, when you're in the divine service or in some, you know, in, in some, some service, you usually do a um, confession of one of the three ecumenical creeds. Um, in a prayer service, usually it's the Apostles' Creed, that's the Baptismal Creed, uh, and the Daily Creed. So if you have daily prayer, um, you would say the Apostles' Creed every single day to remind you of your baptism and what you confessed in faith uh, and on that day, or what people confessed on your behalf until you could grow up and confess with your lips what you already believe uh, in receiving holy baptism. So we, we get these things. Um, um, we, we have these creeds, and uh, typically the Apostles' Creed, like I said, is saved for daily. We, in our Congregation at Prayer, which you can find on our website, uh, resurrectionfbg.org. I know I haven't plugged the website too much, but you can find a lot of things on there. We have a lot of links to different resources um, and different things to help you out um, in your faith. We also have our Congregation at Prayer handout that we do every week. Uh, If you want to pray along with us, we have an order of meditation and prayer. And within that, we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of, of our baptism. And then right after that, we get into the Apostles' Creed. It's the Baptismal Creed. So we get into that, um, and on Divine Service Sundays, uh, which at Resurrection we have Divine Service uh, with Holy Communion every single week, we um, confess our Christian faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed um, is typically reserved for those times of receiving communion, and the Athanasian Creed liturgically is only saved for... Celebrating the Holy Trinity on Trinity Sunday. It's only, it's only for that one uh, Sunday out of the church year because it's just so long. And thankfully, in the Lutheran service book, they have um, 
divided up the Athanasian Creed into verses. And then so for this Sunday, uh, for here at Resurrection, we will divide it up by whole verse. But before we get started into our readings, you know, since the focus is the Holy Trinity and, and, and because we're celebrating the Holy Trinity, um, that takes precedence uh, and that is the focus, kind of like at Pentecost, the event of Pentecost was the focus, but on Holy Trinity Sunday, we focus on the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And we look at the Athanasian Creed specifically, and I'll just pick a few things here. Um, if you have your Lutheran service book, you can open it to page 319. And on page, um, on page 319, you see the Athanasian Creed, and I'll, I'll, I'll just read this little um, in, introductory phrasing, uh, introductory uh, paragraphs before the Athanasian Creed gets started here. It says, In the early 4th century, a North African pastor named, named, uh, excuse me, named, excuse me, named Arius, began teaching that Jesus Christ was not fully God. The church responded decisively in A.D. 325 with the statement of faith, that is the Nicene Creed, which confessed that Jesus is, in fact, true God. Toward the end of the 5th century, another creed was written that delved further into the mystery of the Trinity. Though attributed to St. Athanasius, a 4th century opponent of, of Arius, this anonymous creed clearly came at a later stage in the debate. The Athanasian Creed declares that its teachings concerning the Holy Trinity and our Lord's incarnation are the Catholic faith. In other words, this is what the true church of all times and in all places has confessed. More than 15 centuries later, the church continues to confess this truth, confident that the, true, that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has given himself for our salvation. The following translation may be spoken responsibly by whole verse. All right, so we do that. Um, we're, we're, we're doing that here at Resurrection tomorrow. And that might throw some people off because it starts off. First verse of the Athanasian Creed, as we've divided it in the Lutheran service book, is whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Now, what do we do with that? We're, we're, we're Lutherans. And you might hear some people say, you know, it's like, well, Catholic? We're not Catholic, we're Lutherans, or you know, others might say, you know, we're Protestant or something. But well, we're not. We're not going to get into the whole debate of what Protestant means and what Catholic means, except to say that the Catholic faith is a uh, cognate. It's it's. What, I think it's the right word. It's a word that is transliterated from uh, the Greek, which is like Catholicos, which means um, a part of the whole, or, or I think it's it's it. It means it's translated as universal, all right? And whenever you see a lowercase c, that's why we say we're Catholic, small c. When you see that it's a small c Catholic, that means that we are just part of the universal church, the church that has always been in the world. Um, we have, uh, we, we believe as Christians have always believed. And some people might say, well, you took the, the Nicene Creed and you... Uh, and you took out the word Catholic, and it's more proper to say Catholic in the Nicene Creed, where you say, um, uh, let me see here, when you say, yeah, when you say, I believe, uh, I so I believe in the one holy Christian and apostolic church, the original uh, form of that for us, or at least the, the more traditional form for us, 
in our older hymnals is, uh, I believe, in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, but the thing is, is that you even see on the footnote there on uh, page 191 in the hymnal, which is uh, from Divine Service Setting 3, um, it says, the ancient text reads Catholic, meaning the whole church as it confesses the wholeness of Christian doctrine. This isn't, and, and, you know, switching it to Catholic or s switching it to Christian church uh, is not some slight against Roman Catholics or whatever to distinguish us and to say that they're not Christian or something. It's just, that's literally what it means. It means to be Christian. It means to be a part of the Christian church, the universal church of Christ. Um, so let's not read too much into that. Uh, let's not go too far into saying, you know, who's Catholic and who's not, but just say that we're the, the, the Christian church, although really, the Lutheran Church. We, we believe that uh, we are the um, visible church on earth. We have the true doctrine. We have the right teachings of God uh, as confessed in Holy Scripture that are echoed in our confessions. But we're not going to go into that right now. <laughs> so, But we are saying this, that whoever confesses this creed and confesses it and holds it to be true, they are part of the one true church. Right, um, and we can't say exactly who that is, but you know, God, God knows, and we pray that all would believe this. So it is interesting, though, that in the Athanasian Creed, it's very repetitious, but it's really hammering home the uh, the aspect of the persons of the Trinity that um, we see a lot of things like the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. It's, it's, it's really harping on the persons of the Trinity, but the unity of the Trinity. So um, in their, uh, they, they hold, um, is it they, um, I'm really trying to be hard. It's really hard not to talk about, the, not to get into certain things because you, you want to, this is, this is one of the main things about getting into the, the issue and the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is that you want to make things simplified for people. And you really need to stick to pure doctrine and pure teaching on this. And the Athanasian Creed is the youngest creed we have, so it's very good at really fleshing out and really driving home the things we need to understand when it comes to the distinction of the persons, but the unity of them in the triune Godhead uh, to say that... Um, well, here, let me just let me just read it real quick, see if I can. I'll read it real quick for the sake of going through it. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father, uncreated. The Son, uncreated. The Holy Spirit, uncreated. The Father, infinite. The Son, infinite. The Holy Spirit, infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty. 
And yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also we are prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father is not made nor created nor begotten by anyone. The Son is neither made nor created but begotten by the, of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, but begotten, or sorry, not be, nor begotten, get that right, nor begotten, but proceeding. So the Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the trinity in unity and unity in trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the trinity." But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages. And he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the, converse, by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God is so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, God Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe in it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. So, that was a long reading of the Athanasian Creed, and it's very long, right? And, and we're going to uh, say, you know, this is why we trade off. It's kind of nice liturgically that way. But there's some things to note here. We say in the Athanasian Creed that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that it, the Trinity is not just a academic pursuit, it is not just a philosophical concept, but it is, um, it is a confession, it is a teaching, and it requires us to worship that we give glory to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? God and and these things, these these distinctions are important to make. That when that when we worship, typically in 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 worship in in more traditional settings, you 
in the doxology, you know, the the Gloria Patri, the the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit in like the introit or a psalm or something like that, we bow when or we bow or we genuflect when it comes to the um, mention of the name of the Trinity because we are bowing to the mystery of how it can be three persons and one God and and this this confession this 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 mysterious way that God has revealed Himself to us. Um, in, in such a way. It's important to know these things because effectively so many people don't confess the creeds anymore. And when they don't confess the creeds anymore, they may reference Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when they don't confess the creeds, they become practically... Um, uh, what is it? Instead of Trinitarians, they become um, Dinitarians. So they they only really focus on you know the Father or the Son, they, and they don't really talk about the Holy Spirit. Or they focus on one or the other, not all three. In the economy of the Holy Trinity, in in the economy of the Godhead, um, and when you do that, you run into a lot of problems, um, and and you also find people who are effectively and practically modalists also. Modalism is, is one of these ancient heresies that, that uh, comes up all the time nowadays because people don't know their creeds as well anymore. It comes up all the time that, um, you know, God is, you know, they want to confess one God, but they want to reconcile what it means to worship the Trinity. And so they say, well, God takes on different modes, different masks, as it were. He changes the mask depending on what the work is. If it's the work of the Father, he puts on the mask of the Father. If it's the Son, he puts on the mask of the Son and also for the Holy Spirit. And so so you get this thing, and but that's terrifying because, you know, God... It, <laughs> If he's not in, if he's not three distinct persons, co-eternal and um, co-infinite, and all these things, and he just puts on masks, what other mask could he put on? You know, he could reveal himself in another way that is outside. It's it's totally terrifying what God could, you know, that kind of God could just change his face whenever he wants. So to have these distinct eternal persons all as part of the all as part of the godhead you you avoid a lot of problems especially ones that are brought up um uh and and scripture testifies to these things but we don't have a whole lot of time we're going to keep going here i will say that uh at the end there when you hear things like and those who have done good will enter into eternal life and those who have done evil into eternal fire this is the catholic faith the universal faith yes we as lutherans we think whoa that just brings up a whole can of worms as far as uh, works righteousness, uh, as far as uh, synergism and things like that. But really what it is is that when it comes to being a Christian, God looks at our works, but even though they're tainted with sin, done in faith to Christ, all he sees is the work of Christ. So God imputes his righteousness to us for the sake, you know, for the sake of the Son, Jesus Christ, that His work, His good work, is seen through us, and it also makes it clear that Christians naturally do good works. Right? It's not that good works make the Christian; it's that the Christian does good works, 
And we shouldn't get these things confused thinking, oh, well, I guess I got to do good things in order to God in in order for God to smile upon me. No, we do these things in faith and God sanctifies our work um, when we are working according to his will. So that's, that's, you know, that's just the very scratching the surface of it all. Uh, I'm going to move on now, though, to our readings, because with this understanding of the Holy Trinity, and I hope I haven't confused anybody, if you are confused by it, you can give me, uh, you, you can send me a message. Um, you can go to our website, resurrectionfbg.org. There's a contact um, tab there, and you can see my bio on there and, and send me an email because my email's there. So you, if, if, if you have questions about the Holy Trinity or anything that has to do with faith, please uh, please give me a um, give me a ring, send me a message, things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'd be glad to clear things up because uh, I can only say so much in this short episode uh, for prepping for Sunday. Um, and we're running low on time here, so I'm just going to talk about uh, the Holy Gospel and reference the Old Testament and New Testament here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read them because it's going to take too much time. I took too much time reading the Athanasian Creed uh, so y'all could hear it and just how long and precise it is, how, how thorough it is, because theology really matters, right? I mean, if our lives are our, uh, our lives as Christians ought to be governed by uh, good theology because it's from Holy Scripture, and Holy Scripture should have something to say about our everyday lives. But the Holy Gospel is from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I'm not going to quote it, but we do, you know, you might have heard, oh, 317, right? That includes John 316, right? So we understand uh, here that in John chapter 3, this is where we see Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, is a ruler of the Jews, coming and talking to Jesus. And he is inquiring of him, saying, What, you know, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is what is this talking about? <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask. Um, Really, this is this whole passage here in John chapter 3 is all about baptism. That's right. It's all about baptism. You, you must be born again. Now, am I just taking that as a Lutheran and saying, you know, oh, well, uh, you, you know, through the washing and rebirth? It's, I mean, I'm saying that as a Lutheran because we take, you know, Scripture for what it says, uh, that it says that that Jesus says, um, unless you are born, un unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. With all the other baptismal texts um, in Acts chapter two, in First Peter um, uh, three, in Titus three five, you have uh, you have all these these indications that when the um, when someone is baptized, the Holy Spirit is poured out onto them in the washing of the water and the Word. And when we have the Word. The word means the Trinitarian name. The you know Jesus says in Matthew twenty-eight, at 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 the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, um, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And this this understanding of the Holy Trinity, and I'd love to do another episode on on just the Trinity again, just expounding on some of these things. But the Trinity as a doctrine has been 
it's it's something that was uh, foreshadowed and um, was a type and shadow in Old Testament texts. There's there's the plurality of God you see in Genesis one, um, you know where God says, "Let us make man in our image." Um, and then the Tower of, of Babel where sa- um, God says, let us go down, right? There's, there's, there's always been a plurality of God in that sense, but, it's, it's, but there's always been, whenever it's speaking, it's God in the singular. So there was this al- already this confession of, um, already this confession of uh, plurality, but singular, this mystery of the three persons and the one and, and that sort of thing. So, but we see here that in holy baptism, the Holy Trinity is poured out onto the person being baptized, that you are born again and made a new creation by the power of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? And the Trinity is working within its economy, its um, inner workings. And you can get into this thing, if you look at the Greek, the the Greek word for uh, again, to, to, to be born again is uh, also can mean from above. Um, that is really just saying that there is this rebirth, that there is a spiritual renewal in baptism. Um, that that when that you must be born again, you must be born from above, born by God in the waters of holy baptism. Um, and we see here that there is um, when Jesus talks about these things, being born again. Um, Nicodemus, who comes in sincere questions saying, you know, um, how can these things be, right? Um, But before that, he says, um, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's taking Jesus very literally here. And Jesus says, uh, that's when he brings up water in the spirit, holy baptism. He's saying these things, you must be born again. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. That he's telling Nicodemus to be to, to, to show some humility and understand that there's a mystery attached to this. Um, and I know that people get on Lutherans about talking about mystery all the time. Um, but there is a mystery attached to the holy sacraments that God is working in these means with the, by the power of His Word attached to the elements, um, and and also you know just the power of God's Word in these means of holy baptism with the water and the triune name that there is something happening, um, and that He's also saying oh, there's so much here. I'm just trying to fit it all in. Sorry, y'all. Uh, that he brings up this interesting point that Jesus says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's the story from um, from Numbers, I believe, and or oh, I could be wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's the story about how uh, the people cursed God and Moses and God sent fiery serpents to bite the people and some people died as judgment. And so the people asked for Moses to intercede for them in prayer, asking God to have mercy on them. God, um, Moses prays. God says to Moses, make a serpent and put it on a pole. And, and Moses makes a serpent of bronze, puts it on a pole, and everyone who sees it 
lives, right? Whoever has been bit by one of these fiery snakes and they, seize the, and, and they see the serpent on the pole, they will live. And this is a strange story by itself, but it makes sense in the light of Christ that Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that he must be lifted up on the cross as the bearer of all the sin, right? That these snakes came in Moses' time, God sent the snakes to be judgment on the people for their sin. They're, you know, that is, they're, they're basically the, the embodiment of sin come to cast judgment on the people. And Jesus is, he becomes sin so that we would be forgiven. What I mean by that is that he takes our sin upon, our, uh, upon himself to where he is reckoned as a sinner, though he is sinless, right? That whenever we look at the cross, we see our salvation won by the Son of God, by the Son of Man, right? And then we see verse 16 here, where um, we see, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That... Um, we see here that there's a holdover from the King James. Now, I like the King James, depending on who you ask, but we like the King James, and we say there's a holdover there, for God so loved the world, but really it should be translated, uh, it's, it's, it's not an intensifier or um, something to show the magnitude of something. It is to say, for God loved the world in this way, in such a way as to send, as to give his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's not, it's not, um, showing the magnitude of God's love, but how God shows his love by sending his son to die for us, for, to save us from our sin, to grant us eternal life, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's where we, so that's the context of, <laughs> there's more here, but that's the context of that wonderful verse of John 3.16, which is a better, it's overquoted in some ways, um, but it's a greater verse than what you realize because of the context of all of John 3, talking about baptism, how we were baptized um, and received the new birth of, you know, the spirit in that the triune name is spoken over us and washed over us with the, um, with uh, the water and the word. Um, so there's, that is a Trinitarian thing as well too. Verse 16, for God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world, God, you know, actually the whole Trinity sent the whole, you know, loved the world. But God the Father gave his only Son, God the Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? That uh, in holy baptism... Uh, we receive the benefits of the Son sent by the Father, you know, and that's, we're, we're getting into the workings of the Trinity here. Um, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And we do know this, that God has two kinds of work. He has his proper work and his, and his, and, and what's called his alien work. The alien work of God, the, the work of God that was never that, that they never intended to do until sin came into the world was was to condemn, right? Was to judge uh, in the negative, or you know, to condemn. That was never his intention. He never meant to do that. It, but he does it now on account of sin. That sin must be condemned. 
So that's what he does. He condemns sin. That is, his, you know, the son came into the world not to condemn the world, but to do his proper work of saving, right? Of, of granting salvation through him and his work on the cross. Okay, now we're going to go really quick and kind of touch on a little bit of, of, of the Old Testament, uh, which is from Isaiah. I'm only going to reference it. I'm not going to, uh, because I'm running out of time, actually over time a little bit. But the Old Testament is from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is when um, we see that Isaiah has this vision. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And so we see here that the angels are here before the throne of God, and the throne is high and lifted up, and the train, the the literally the tails of God's of the Lord's robe is filling the entirety of the temple. And the temple was thought to be huge, right? The temple is huge and, and it took, you, you couldn't fill it practically in any way, but the, the robes of the Lord fills it. That's how great he is. That's, that's one, one part of the vision here. And then you have the seraphim, which are, uh, you know, the angels. They have the six wings, two cover their face so they do not see God, two they cover their feet, which is the um, shameful part of the body, and two, they fly, right? Um, and another says, and, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There is another Trinitarian reference there, the holy, holy, holy. And that's what we sing. We sing in the Sanctus, in the divine service. Uh, we sing, you know, holy, uh, you know, holy, holy. Holy Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory, right? So we sing this, and it's not just something that's nice that we sing every, every Sunday, but it is a confession that we are, we are singing the, the, the angelic hymn, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of Sabaoth, the, lad of, uh, the Lord of hosts. You know, the whole earth is full of his glory. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory, O Lord. Right, um, we are singing this angelic song, and we are every, every time we sing this, we are connected to this part of Isaiah where we see that uh, you know it's Isaiah chapter six verses one through seven, and Isaiah sees, um, you know, he, he says, "Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, right? No one could see the no one could see God and live. That's what he had told Moses, right? And so then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That when we receive the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper, when we sing this sanctus, the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. You know, we are referencing back to this, how God cleanses us and cleanses our mouths, cleanses our lips to receive the body and blood of Christ in the holy sacrament of the altar. Um, something to keep in mind for that, right? And we are singing holy, holy, holy in the presence of the, the, uh, the readily present Trinity, that God is present everywhere, but in the divine service, in, in the sacrament of the altar, God specifically is in that place with his word, 
uh, and his sacraments, right? And then the epistle is from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. It's short enough, I'll read it. Um, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? For who has given a gift to him that, it, that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So we see here that there's a Trinitarian statement there as well uh, at the end of Romans. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him, from God the Father, God the Creator, the one, the one who has created and sustains all things in this world. Through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and to him, and sometimes in the Greek you can say in him, that, uh, you know, we have the from him, the Father, through him, the Son, and to him, the Holy Spirit, you know, by whom and in whom we are granted faith um, and uh, knowledge of salvation, right? But we also remember this from Romans chapter 11, verses 33, or verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways meaning that there is only so far we can go in understanding who God is in his entirety. The Trinity in itself, reading the Athanasian Creed, it's mind-boggling, you know, but in eternity, we will fully understand the Trinity. It will be revealed to us. Our sinful nature will be cleansed away, it will be washed away, and fully and completely to the point where we will say, oh, I get it now. I get the Trinity. <laughs> but right now, because of our fallen understanding, God has only revealed himself so much to show us through Holy Scripture just who he is and what he does and how he acts to save us, right? Um, and to do the work that he, has, that, that he must do on account of his love for uh, his creation. Um, so that's, that's about it. <laughs> I know that's not... You know, there's so much more to get into with the Trinity, um, but we confess what we confess according to Scripture. Where, where Scripture speaks, we speak. Where Scripture remains silent, we remain silent. And we only say, Amen, you know, let it be so, you know, according to God's will. Um, and we go forward here knowing that we as Christians are um, in the midst of kind of an interesting... Um, an interesting time. Uh, this is, you know, June 6th, 2020. We've had the coronavirus. Um, we've had the pandemic, right? We've had now um, the death, the, un the uh, horrible death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And there's all kinds of, of you know, opinions and uh thoughts about this, commentary, uh, solutions people are putting forward. There's a lot of talk about identity, and um, a lot of people are talking about identity in terms of race, uh, and people who purport to have the solutions keep talking about the solutions being race-based in some ways, um, talking about white privilege, talking about, um, you know, uh, 
some sort of education or something like that about the disparities between the races. But the thing is that, that Christians, Christians, while, while race is a reality, um, and yes, there are people with different skin tones and colors, but the thing is, is that with Christians, that, that doesn't, you know, race as a division shouldn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter as a Christian that Jesus Christ didn't die for black people only. He didn't die for white people only. He didn't die for brown people only or, you know, yellow, purple, green, whatever you want to say. He died for all people, that all races, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, no matter the skin color, no matter the background, um, no matter the tribe or whatever. Jesus died for all. And we as Christians should hold on to that truth and proclaim that truth as much as possible because this world wants us to find our identity in the things that are external, the things that are of this world, race, race sexual, um, sexual preference, sexual orientation, um, income, you know, all these things the world wants to try and pin on us to, to, to divide us in some way and to uh, keep us all in our little groups. That's just the world. That's not a right or left thing. That's just the world, the sinful, the sinful world um, that is, you know, that, that Satan is pulling the strings on. But we as Christians find our identity in Christ. We find our identity in the Holy Trinity. That the Holy Trinity, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, it is interesting that that, that, that singular name, but the three persons, the the name of God, the Father, the, the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is poured out on you in your holy baptism. That when you are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the gift of faith, the gift of belief in, the, in God the Father who has created you, in God the Son who has redeemed you, and in God the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you, right? And who brings you closer to Christ. So right now we're we're facing a lot of a, a lot of questions about race, a lot of questions about identity, and we as Christians should consider certain aspects of the conversation but remember always that we have the solution. The solution is Christ dying for all. No matter their skin color or whatever. That we do not uh, withhold the gospel from anyone because of their skin tone. We do not condemn someone only because of their skin tone. All right? uh, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the free gift of God's grace and salvation for all people. And we should be ever more you know, shouting that, especially now with everyone trying to uh, come up with some sort of solution that is most likely going to cause um, you know, a lot of pain and turmoil as the world and Satan is wont to do. But um, God's grace and peace be with you. Um, may God sh you know, smile upon you in all this. Uh, if, if you are in an affected area, um, be safe. God's peace be with you. We are praying for you. 
Um, and we pray that there will be an end to this pandemic. We'll pray that there will be an end to the violence and the riots and the looting and the destruction that is being made. Um, and we pray that we will be able to have peace in this world, but knowing that true peace will come when Christ returns on the last day. So for that, we continue to pray, Amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And until that day comes, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.